Welcome to Whamacast, the podcast series of the Wingate Museum of Art at Hendricks College in Conway, Arkansas. I'm your host, Mary Kennedy, and today's guest is Marjorie William Smith. Marjorie William Smith has worked as a Silver Point artist for 30 years and is nationally recognized as one of its preeminent practitioners. She's a professor emeritus at the University of Arkansas Little Rock. She received the Governor's Arts Award in 2019 and was selected to design the Congressional Medal of Honor awarded to the Little Rock Nine in 1999. She has participated in numerous solo and group exhibitions nationally, and her work is in the permanent collections of the Arkansas Art Center, the Longview Art Museum, Mosaic Templars Cultural Center, and many others. Marjorie, thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have a chance to talk with you. Thank you. So I like to begin these conversations talking about um, where folks come from, where their families came from. Okay. Most of us are immigrants, right? Yes. Uh, and what you were interested in as a child. Well, I grew up in Washington, D.C. Um, my parents were from uh, Maryland, from my dad's side, and Pennsylvania, from my mom's side. And um, grew up um, seeing all the monuments and important buildings in Washington, D.C. And... Um, I always enjoyed art. Um, Early on, my mom took us to the National Gallery of Art, which I guess would be unusual for a parent to take small children. But um, I remember going and then going back years later on my own and just enjoyed seeing the paintings and all the colors and everything and um, just got interested in it. And, of course, all all I had were crayons. So crayons and coloring books got me started, and then I started to draw outside the lines because that was pretty cool, too. Yeah. Were your parents artists? Um, I like to think that they were artistic. Uh-huh. My dad was a carpenter, and he would do sketches of projects he was going to work on. And I loved to see how he made things look three-dimensional. So I thought that was pretty interesting. He'd, he'd make sketches on just scraps of paper or envelopes or things. And uh, that was just really fascinating. And my mom loved to do uh, needlepoint. And she would crochet and she learned how to knit and taught me how to sew. And I just thought that was, that was pretty helpful because I, I made a lot, a lot of clothes while I was in college. <laughs> I couldn't afford it. At that <laughs> time, it was cheaper to actually make something than it was to buy at the store. So I remember those days. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. So. So I read that you had a great art teacher when you were in high school. Who was that, and what made him or her such a great teacher for you? Um, His name was Ken Simpson, and he really encouraged us to um, look at historically recognized artists. Um, He gave us a project, which was kind of art history-based, where we had to find pictures of varying art periods, like the Greek arts and art from Rome, and then coming up through the Middle Ages and Renaissance. So it was really a survey of art history. And at the first time he gave that assignment, I found all these National Geographics that my uncle had, and he gave to me, and I could find all these great pictures. The second year he gave that assignment, 
fewer pictures because I'd cut up all the first ones in the first project. <laughs> the third year, I was kind of like scraping the barrel because I'd used up all my resources. <laughs> but by then, I was pretty familiar with a number of different things. And uh, he really encouraged us to look at work of African-American artists. He brought in some uh, magazine articles from Ebony Magazine where we could see some of these artists like Charles White and Elizabeth Catlett. Um, Romare Bearden. And so that's where I started to first hear these names and really became interested more than just hobby. You know, is this something that I could actually do? And here were professionals who were doing that, who were African-American. And I thought, well, maybe so, you know. And so I think that kind of encouraged me. And a number of my friends were also interested in art. So it was kind of a little circle we had an art club, and we would get to hang out, and uh, our teacher encouraged us to do experimental things with paint or, you know, whatever we were interested in. So I, I, that's why I valued that so much. It sounds pretty nurturing. Yes. And yeah. expansive at the same time. Yeah. yeah and that you're, he's sending you out to do this kind of research. Exactly. And, and interestingly enough, we had a printing press in our classroom, which would have been very unusual. It was a relief press. and he told us that the Smithsonian actually wanted that press because it was a letter press, you know. Um, and he said, no, that's the only press we have, so we have to keep it. Mm -hmm. But years later, I thought about that press because uh, I, I became involved in printmaking. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So you, you grew up in D.C. and you yeah. ended up going to Howard University. Yes. But that wasn't your first choice. No. It wasn't what you wanted to do. No. I really wanted to go to uh, the University of North Carolina, North Carolina Chapel Hill, mm -hmm. and they had a BFA program. And I don't know where I got the idea that a BFA was better than a BA. So I, I thought, I don't want to do a lot of other classes other than art. So I think the BFA might be the best route. Um, but it was very expensive. My parents said, no, you can't, can't do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, they said, go local. Let's look at Howard, um, there was Maryland, University of Maryland. Um, and I thought, no, I really don't want to go to Maryland, so I guess I'll go to Howard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you went to Howard, um, your drawing professor was Jeff Donaldson, who yes. was a co-founder of AfriCobra, which stands for African Commune of Bad Relevant Artists. <laughs> <laughs> the collective began in Chicago and had and continues to have a real impact. Mm -hmm. What was it like to be at Howard in the 1970s and working with Jeff? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, they were just coming off that period in the 60s where there were a lot of protests and students were kind of protesting. And um, so things had calmed down by the time I got to the campus, which I was glad of that because I just wanted to do my art. Mm -hmm. And um but him having been involved in this movement of expression within African American art and really doing things that were relevant to the community, um, it was very encouraging that um we didn't have to follow a prescribed rule about what our art was going to be. I think he felt that if your technique was there and your skill level was there then you could say whatever you felt you needed to say. Um, so that was, that was helpful. And I, my first drawing class was with him. And so he had us doing lots of different things with materials that I would have thought are not part of art. 
<laughs> uh, one day he had us go on a scavenger hunt and just find whatever you could find in the building. Don't leave the building. It has to be something in this space. And we came back with candy wrappers and um, dust balls and, you know, a variety of things. And he said, okay, uh, draw that. I'm like, what? How, how are we going to do this? That forces us to think outside the box. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think we all had a sense that, you know, we could, we could do anything, really. We're encouraged to be uh, expressive, experimental, and to take risks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for many young people, deciding where they're going to go for graduate school is a really important decision, mm-hmm. um, even really more important than undergraduate school. Yeah. Um, I'd say it certainly was for me, but you know, I read that your thesis professor coerced you into going to Pratt yes. for graduate school. <laughs> you thought you wanted to go to Columbia. Yes. So tell us about that experience and how did it work or not work for you? Well, by the time I was a senior, in my beginning of my senior year, I knew I wanted to go into printmaking. And of course, this was before the internet. So anything you wanted to find out, you went to the library, you looked up materials. And so I started to think, I want to do my graduate work in printmaking. And I read that um, Robert Blackburn, the founder of the printmaking workshop in New York City, taught at Columbia. So I thought, well, I need to go to Columbia so I can work with him because he's foremost uh, in terms of an African-American artist working in printmaking. Uh, So that's where I wanted to go. And so I arranged to go to the campus. I went to New York City by myself. Uh, I had never really been there. That was there. your first trip to That's New York. My, my second trip. Actually, okay. the first trip was in seventh grade and a science group tour. Okay. It was a one-day uh, adventure. But this was like for three days. I went by myself. Uh, my parents, God bless them, trusted that I would be fine, that I would actually make it back home. Um, and I went to the campus, uh, Columbia, and I thought I'd go to Pratt, but I said, nah, I don't have enough time, so I'm just going to go to Columbia. And toured the facility, got to meet Robert Blackburn, who was uh, in the print classroom, and got to see the facility, so I thought, this is it. This is where I want to go. I came back and asked Professor Donaldson if he would write a letter of recommendation for me, and he said, sure. Um, have you also applied to Pratt? And I said, no, I don't want to go there. I, I want to go to Columbia. He said, no, you need to apply to Pratt as well. But eh, I don't really want to do that. He said, yes, you need to apply to Pratt. I said, oh, I don't know. He said, well, if you don't apply to Pratt, you're not going to pass my class. And I was in his thesis class. And I thought, you're not going to do that. He said, you don't know. And I didn't want to push that. So I thought, okay, now I have to go make another set of slides and do this whole letter thing. So I went through the process. And um, sure enough, I got accepted at Pratt and not Columbia. So I wound up going there, and it it turned out really well. Yeah, that's not a bad gig. (laughs) It's not bad. (laughs) um, And it was a good experience. I got to be—I wanted to be in New York. Um, My backup was to apply to the Maryland Institute of Art. But I really didn't want to go there because it was so close to home. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be in New York City. I always seen myself there because I figured that was the center of the art world. Is this the 1980s? This is the 1970s. Okay. And uh, I felt that there was so much to see, so much activity. Um, it was bigger than Washington. 
mm-hmm. and just so much more diverse even so that I had decided that's where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to live there. So I figured, well, I probably, maybe if I go to school there, that'd be a great way to kind of ease into life there. And it, it was. I got to learn my neighborhood around the campus and then Brooklyn, which is where Pratt was located. Got to learn Brooklyn. And then I ventured into Manhattan, got lost a little bit, but found my way. And after a while, I felt very comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I felt, yeah, this is where I want to live. Well, that leads me to my next question. Mm-hmm. Um, so you met your husband, A.J. Smith, who is also an extraordinary artist, mm-hmm. while you were in New York. Yes. So how did you get from New York City to Little Rock, and did you ever intend to stay here? Well, um, A.J. was invited to apply to the Artist in Residency Program at the Arkansas Arts Center. And um, once he got that phone call inviting him to come out, that summer, he was working in Massachusetts. So he called me and said, well, I've gotten this offer to come for an interview and explain the whole thing. And I said, well, sure, you, you, know, you can go ahead and have a vacation. It'll be fine. But I don't want to move there. And he said, oh, but you don't know what it's like. I said, yeah, I know what it's like. I know about 1957. I don't want to go there. He said, well, I'm sure it's different. I said, well, go on your trip. We'll see. So he went had a very good experience. They really wanted him to come. And it was a one-year appointment. So he came back and convinced me that this would be great. We'd only stay for a year. And as it turned out, I was expecting our first child. So he said, you could take a year off. You're going to have the baby, right? It'd be great, easy, scheduling everything. Uh, And then we'll move back. Sure. So that's what we did. And we're still here. So, <laughs> as it turned out, it was great for raising a family. Mm-hmm. Um, we had more space, but the pace was different. And at that time, it was the right thing to do. So, we stayed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm really interested in how artists who are mothers find the time and space to make art. Wow. Um, I remember Betty Sarr telling me a story about this. She was really interested in Joseph Cornell's work, Mm -hmm. and she very much acknowledges how important he was to her as an artist. Mm -hmm. But she also talked about how she had these small children, and she needed to find a way to work at a scale that would fit into a tiny home, Mm -hmm. and how she put up a little card table in the corner of her kitchen Mm -hmm. so she'd be able to work and watch her daughters at the same time. Um, And... Um, I think about how so many women juggle this, you know, and how, you know, they they still continue making art while they're raising children and, yeah. you know, responsible for so many other things. So oh, how did you juggle all of that? How did you make wow. that work? Well, um, the first two years of my daughter's existence was devoted to her pretty much. And I may have had time to do a sketch or two in pencil, and they were very small. And so as you were saying with Betty Sarr, the scale was important because you don't have a lot of space. And um, we didn't own our own home when we first moved here, so we did have limited space for studio and for storage of artwork that we brought with us from New York. Um, So everything was kind of small. And then my time was really devoted to the baby. And I didn't realize how exhausting motherhood could be mm-hmm. <laughs> until mm-hmm. you are in it, you know. And my daughter didn't want to sleep. 
at in the at night. She wouldn't sleep all day and then be up all night. I was exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, so eventually we got that kind of worked out when she got on solid food, you know, mm-hmm. in case she can sleep. Um, I found that I could do some more things in my makeshift studio, which I had my drawing table in, a, in her bedroom, and we shared that space. And eventually, um, as she got older, I just continued to make some time, and it would usually be after she went to bed. So you do things like the laundry and you cook the food and you go shopping and um, do all these things and the art would come last. Mm-hmm. And once I started teaching at the university, then that added more on the schedule. So I'm writing lectures and preparing lesson plans and shopping for groceries and <laughs> cleaning the house and taking care of the baby. And um, once she got a little older and she was in daycare, Four years later, here comes another baby. Mm-hmm. So, but by then we had a routine. And then AJ was, you know, he's part of that. Mm-hmm. Helping when I would have to teach. Luckily, he didn't have a class. And so we could kind of trade off. And um, that teamwork really helped. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as the children got older, they, they, they just knew this is what we do. Mom and dad have art supplies and we would let them use some things, not everything, but some things. Um, It's just how the house was, you know, Mm -hmm. and mom and dad did art Mm -hmm. and they could do art too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We just made it work. So let's talk about your art making. Okay. Silver Point is such a difficult and sort of an obscure kind of art making. Mm -hmm. Not many people try their hand at it because it's just so difficult. Uh-huh. So how did you first get interested in Silver Point? Well, um, I'd heard about it in art history class uh-huh. uh, when we talked about Renaissance artists. Mm-hmm. I didn't really pay much attention to that technique as something I would want to do. But um, in 1985, there was an exhibition at the Arkansas Arts Center called The Fine Line, Drawing with Silver in America. That show was organized by the Norton Gallery of Art in Florida, it traveled to the art center, and once it was in Little Rock and I got to see it, I was amazed. Um, I don't even remember how many artists, maybe 40 or 50 artists, and all these varying styles and approaches to silver point. And, and I'm like, what is this? It does not look like pencil. Um, and they had a tool on display, one of the silver point tools, so like, Okay, that looks interesting. But the the drawings were just amazing. They were very ethereal, some of them, in terms of looking at the value of the drawing, um, the softness of the value. It's almost like they just kind of breathed the marks onto the page. And uh, But then there were some whose approaches were such where it was very um, aggressive, those marks, very dark. So there was a range of things. And then there was representational work and then there was non-representational work. And people were combining paint with it or gold leaf or uh, smoke and wax. And I thought, what in the world? I went back so often the guards just figured, oh yeah, that's her again. (laughs) Um, And then I bought the catalog Mm -hmm. and just read the catalog from cover to cover. Uh, And the neat thing about that catalog was they listed everything that was in 
that piece. Mm -hmm. So whatever metal, uh, they used silver, they used copper, they used brass. Mm -hmm. They used it on clay-coated paper or they used uh, acrylic gesso. Everything about it was listed. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, look at all this. So, okay, I need some gesso. If I was going to do this, I need some gesso. I need some museum board maybe or watercolor paper. Um, But I need the silver. So where do you get that? So I went to the art store, which was Junkins at the at the time, and um, I said, I need some silver point. I said, we don't, I don't know that we have it. So I described what it looked like. And he said, oh, yeah, we have that. So we went over to the area where they had these stylus holders, and it had something inside. We rattled in, oh, yeah, it's in there. That silver's in there. So I took it home. That was not silver. It was like some stainless stainless steel point that you might use for making stencils. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, this isn't it. So what am I going to do? And there was no internet, so I couldn't order it. But I did have some jewelry that was silver. I had a ring that my mother had given me. So I took the ring apart, fashioned a tool, taped it to a pencil, and started working. Amazing. So that's, that's what I did. And... um of course, my first drawing did not look like what I had seen at the art center, <laughs> so I was very disappointed. Um, trying to get the the quality of the line, learning how to handle mistakes. Um, you couldn't erase it, really. So I thought, um, this is not working. And, and I noticed that they were using lots of hatched and cross-hatched lines. So I was familiar with pen and ink. So I, th- I think I'll put the silver aside for a little bit and do some pen and ink drawings just to get a feel for how to make these marks. And then um, gradually went back to the silver, and by then I felt I had a little bit better understanding of how I want to do these marks. Mm-hmm. And so I started to feel a little bit more confident with making those drawings. Then I also realized if you do a preliminary sketch in pencil mm-hmm. that's very light, you can erase that. Mm-hmm. Then I can come back with the silver mm-hmm. and take my time. Mm-hmm. So I learned you have to be patient. This wasn't something that you could rush. Um, think ahead where you want to preserve the white of the page so you don't put any marks there, so you don't have to worry about erasing. Um, that was helpful. Mm-hmm. I love the story about uh, that you tell about the Silver Point workshop that you went to, yes. or that you didn't weren't able to go to at the art center because yes. AJ was working and you couldn't find a babysitter. Right. Um, but you had called them and said, "Could I come down during the lunch break yeah. and talk to the instructor?" <laughs> so you take your kids yeah. down during this workshop lunch exactly. break um, and have a chance to talk to them. But it doesn't sound like they were all that encouraging. No. And yet you persisted. Well, so I guess, many people would have just folded their tent at that yeah. moment, but you just kept on. What What do you think it was? I was desperate for somebody to teach me how mm-hmm. to do this. Mm-hmm. And I had seen these artists' works at the Art Center in that show, in that fine line show. And so I felt... They've got to tell me something, you know. And uh, if I can't go to that workshop, maybe on that lunch break, if they would just, you know, let me see the tools, tell me about the materials. And so I went up there, and I had uh, my youngest was in a stroller. My uh, The oldest daughter was kind of hanging on to the stroller, and we walked in there. And, oh, yeah, you know, this lady with these little kids, talking about she's done silver point. Yeah, right. And 
I said, oh, my gosh, well, I wish I could have shown you some of my work. He said, oh, he would have loved to have seen your work. Really? I said, yeah. I said, well, I don't live that far away. Actually, I could just run home right now and go get it. <laughs> and I guess they were just shocked. You know, like, well, could, they didn't want to say no. Uh-huh. So they said, well, sure. I said, I'll be right back. So I ran home. I made a coat of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for the kids. I said, here. I grabbed my pieces. I put them in a portfolio case, and we run back up there. And they were like, okay. So I opened my case, and I started showing them the work. And they're like, wow, well, this is this is very nice. Like, oh, thank you. Well, do you have any suggestions, recommendations? And they no, just keep working. Okay. <laughs> okay. And anything else? No, just keep working. Okay. I was a little let down because I wanted them to yeah. tell me something else, you yeah. know. And I uh, so, okay. So I just packed it all up and we went home. And um, like I said, this was before the internet then. And one of the artists, uh, Charles Schmidt, remembered what he had seen. He was organizing a Silver Point exhibition that would travel. And somehow he got in touch with me. Maybe he had gotten the, my address information from the director of the art center. And he sent me a, a letter asking me if I'd be interested in being in an exhibition. And he remembered pieces that I had. Would I be willing to put that piece in the show? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> I would love to. Oh, wait a minute. I sold that piece. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I asked the owner of the piece, would they be willing to loan it to this exhibition? And when I explained that this was a national Silver Point exhibition that would travel, he said, sure, I'll let you borrow it. person organizing the show wanted two pieces, so I had another one. And so that's how I was in my first show of Silver Point. And so I thought, well, I guess I must have been doing something. something how long right. after the workshop did that happen? Oh, I would say two or three years. Yeah. Yeah. So in that window, though, you just kept working away. I just kept working. Yeah. yeah. And um, having slides made, because that's what you did if you were trying to get in an exhibition. Couldn't get my work in an exhibition. But mm-hmm. one problem was that it's difficult to photograph mm-hmm. these pieces. And mm-hmm. I was trying to take my own photographs, my own slides. Mm-hmm. And just could not get a good reproduction. So eventually I hired a professional photographer to do my slides, and it still was too light. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I don't know how I'm going to overcome this issue. Um, That exhibition that was organized was called Silver Point, Etc., and showcasing the various ways artists were working with the medium. Um, And he put together a little catalog. And when I saw my piece reproduced, I was so disappointed because it was so light. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, this is, mm-hmm. that was my shot, and I might have blown it, you know, because mm-hmm. you can't see it really. Um, so I had to figure out, how am I going to get darker? Mm-hmm. And so, um, interestingly enough, one of the artists from the uh, Fine Line exhibition was also in the Silver Point, et cetera. That was Susan Schwab. Mm-hmm. And... Um, she saw my piece in that exhibition because it traveled to Massachusetts. She remembered it and um, contacted me. She sent me a letter, got my info from the Art Center, and um, we started corresponding. And so I looked at her work and just was interested. How did she get so dark? 
Well, I think it was the ground, the support that I mm -hmm. would draw on. Mm -hmm. That acrylic gesso, uh, when you sand it, gets very smooth. Mm -hmm. It's almost like trying to draw on glass. Mm -hmm. That was one problem. It mm -hmm. wasn't abrasive enough to get enough metal on the surface. Right. So I right. had to figure out how to make it more abrasive. Mm -hmm. um, using a more coarse grit sandpaper uh -huh. was not the solution. Mm -hmm. It just did not make the surface really uh, receptive to my mark. So uh, it wasn't until Victor Kulbach had an exhibition at the Art Center. He's a Russian artist who um, was familiar with Townsend Wolf, who was the director at that time, had some exquisite silver point pieces. He did a workshop, which I did get to go, mm -hmm. and he did a lecture, which I attended, and I was taking notes, and he talked about his ground that he was using. And he was very mysterious about it. He says, I have this ground that I have made. And so I raised my hands. Well, well, what's in it? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I have pigment and I have, uh, you know, marble crushed and, uh, you know, glue. Okay. So I thought, where am I going to get this? <laughs> and, uh, so I went home and asked AJ, where am I going to get this? And he said, well, the crushed marble, we can, we can get that. And um, pigment, I have that in the printmaking studio. Mm -hmm. And rabbit skin glue, you can get that from, you know, an art supply store. Right. So, so I'm like, okay. Well, I started looking through catalogs that we had from art suppliers, and I came across a Daniel Smith catalog. And what did they have was a gesso mix. It had crushed oh, marble. Oh, for this purpose. Yeah, it had crushed marble, mm -hmm. animal skin glue, and titanium white. Mm -hmm. All you had to do was add water. I'm like, what? <laughs> Why didn't he tell me that? And, okay, that that's fine. Yeah, so, so that's I'm, part of his stick, right? Yeah, right, to be very, very mysterious. Uh -huh. So I thought, okay, so I bought it. I mixed it up. I put it on the support. I, you know, sandpapered it, get mm -hmm. it a little bit smooth. Great. Now you could almost hear the marks. Uh-huh. Right? It was very uh -huh. abrasive. Yeah. I could get darker. Mm -hmm. And one of the first pieces I did, it got in the Delta and uh, exhibition at the Art Center. Yeah, that's huge. I'm like, wow, this, okay, I'm on to something. Mm -hmm. And so I continued to use that. Mm -hmm. And um, also I saw where artists were using color in their mm -hmm. pieces. So I thought, okay, I'll use some watercolor. That, that'll mm -hmm. probably be great. But on this tra uh, traditional mix, which is water-based, it's not great with watercolor because uh -huh. then you disturb the ground. Yeah. And it's, it liquefies. Yeah. So I thought, okay, well, this is a problem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I realized if I go back to the acrylic gesso, it's not going to be disturbed by watercolor. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to get the same kind of quality of mark. But then maybe the watercolor is more important. So, okay, it was a trade-off. And then finally I thought, what if I mix a little acrylic in with this mix mm -hmm. so that I'm getting that um, polymer mm -hmm. medium mixed in. It won't go liquid when I put the watercolor on it. Right. So that worked. Mm -hmm. And I gradually started experimenting with color. Mm -hmm. So that, I just loved experimenting. Yeah. I even put smoke on a couple of pieces. Uh -huh. uh, I had to be sure I didn't burn up my drawing because uh -huh. I had to do the drawing first. Right. And then put the, put smoke, the smoke on, on so it wouldn't disturb the smoke. Um, 
But, you know, I have to say, I think in general with Silver Point, you know, so I'll, I'll use you as an example. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 uh, I had never seen your work. And about 15 years ago, I saw your work for the first time. And I had never seen it in reproduction before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I saw it in Garbo Hearn's gallery. And okay. I walked in, and I was absolutely blown away. Thank you. And it is so, you know, Silver Point, when you see it in person, mm-hmm. um, it's so beautiful and it catches the light as you move around the image. Mm-hmm. And um, so it, it's, it's very full of life. And then every time I've seen Silver Point reproduced, it looks like a drawing, which is fine, but it's nothing like experiencing it firsthand. And I feel exactly. like, you know, Silver Point artists are kind of, you know, they're, they're kind of cheated out of notoriety, don't you yeah, think? Because yeah. The, the the way we reproduce things or show things on the internet, it, it is really one of the few art forms that just cannot no. come through. It just doesn't do it justice. Yeah. Really, you have to see it in person. And yeah. the neat thing about silver, and I think this is one thing that also attracted me to it, was that over a period of time, the silver is going to tarnish. Right, and so it changes. The it piece changes. changes. Yeah. And when you first make the marks, they look gray, mm-hmm. um, maybe a thinner line than what you're going to get with a pencil. Um, but over time, it's tarnishing. So just like your silverware is tarnishing, mm-hmm. it's going to take on a different tonality, mm-hmm. has a warm tone to it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I find with many of these metals is what happens over a period of time. Right, right. And, um, yeah, you just can't really capture that in a photograph. So a question I like to ask all of our guests mm-hmm has to do with when things fail. (laughs) So I love this quote I saw posted on Instagram. Art is not really art unless it has the potential to be a disaster. Okay. Can you think of a time in your art making Mm -hmm. um, that ended in a disaster, and what did you learn from it? Well, I have several pieces like that where Uh I didn't feel as comfortable with it as I had hoped. Uh Um, And I just thought, well... Nobody has to see that but me, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I'll learn from that. I, I won't do this the next time. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think at first I used to think this was such a waste of time, but then I realized, no, it's not because uh, you learn something as you move forward and you know, okay, next time I'll try something different. Mm-hmm. And I've even had a piece where I thought maybe it wasn't successful um, and then I looked at it later, and I had a whole different opinion about it. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the first ones that I did with watercolor was on commercially made paper. So it was mm-hmm. a clay coating. Um, I didn't have the problem that I had with that traditional mix, so I was able to do the watercolor, but I was very hesitant with it. I was kind of afraid and timid with the mm-hmm. application. So when I finished, I thought, eh, this, this, this didn't work. So I didn't show it. And I put it in the drawer, and I, I think maybe five years or more later, I looked at it. You know what? This, this is not so bad. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of like it. Mm-hmm. So you never know really if it's a total failure, mm-hmm. you know, or you can go back and rework it. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't get upset about that as I used to. Mm-hmm. When I was in school, I would always get upset if something didn't work mm-hmm. uh, because that was time that I, you know, I'm on a deadline and I need something now. And mm-hmm. This isn't working. But it, it's different now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Three words I think about when I hear the term silver point are mm-hmm. precision, preparation, and permanence. Yes. You know, when most people think about art and artists, 
these are not terms <laughs> they would typically use to describe it or them. Right. Do you ever feel like you're swimming upstream being a Silver Point artist? I think I did at first, uh-huh. particularly when I thought I was, when I was working in isolation. Mm-hmm. And I, I really wasn't connected to anyone else that was doing this medium in this area. Right. And it wasn't until um, I got um, connected with other artists doing Silver Point that I felt that there's a lot of us going upstream. So maybe mm-hmm. we're in the right direction. Everybody else is going the wrong <laughs> way. Um, that was encouraging. Uh-huh. And uh, to correspond with other artists. And to, once the Internet came in, on the picture, I was able to see other works. Mm-hmm. And um, that really gave me support. Mm-hmm. And I tell people that want to try it, it's not for the faint of heart. I mm-hmm. mean, if you're in a hurry, then don't do it. You're going to get frustrated. Mm-hmm. But if you're willing to take some time, um, you have to be disciplined. Uh, I think you'll find it something that you'll enjoy working with. It is permanent. I won't say that it's totally um, difficult to change, that you cannot change it. Um, depending on the support you're working with, mm-hmm. if you're going to rub it or try to sand it out, you will damage the ground. Mm-hmm. If it's tinted, it's going to change it, and you can't reapply it and make it look the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you are willing to lighten it a little bit with an eraser and take off a little bit of the, the metal, you may be able to go back and, and work over mm-hmm. that. I do a preliminary pencil sketch. Mm-hmm. I need some direction. I'm not just going to go freehand with the silver knowing how it how it is, Mm -hmm. and how I work. So I resolve all my problems with pencil. Mm -hmm. And if I'm drawing directly from the object and I use my sighting techniques and very mechanical about that process, resolve all issues, then I go in with the silver. It's kind of like icing on the cake Mm -hmm. because now I get to have fun. Mm -hmm. All my difficult thinking has been solved. Right, right. So let's talk about what you you. Your subjects usually are, which are flowers, yes, right? Your public yes. silver point drawings are really of flowers. What made you choose flowers over other subject matter? Well, back when my daughter was born and I didn't have a lot of time, and I think one day I was sitting at my drawing table and I thought, oh, I think I'd like to draw something just because it's meditative and relaxing. And I was sitting at my drawing table and I had uh, in a vase a rose that AJ had given me for my first Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. And previously, whenever I'd get flowers, I wanted to save them, I'd press them in a book. But this had sat on the table for so long, it dried, and it was just, you know, about to, ordinarily I would have thrown it away. And I thought, why don't I draw that? That might be fun. So I did. I drew that, and then I drew another one. And So I, at first it was just drawings of roses. And then it kind of branched out to maybe daisies or other flowers. They were convenient. You know, I didn't have to think about it. Uh, I've always loved flowers, having fresh-cut flowers. Uh, I think I got that from my mom. Mm-hmm. And growing up in D.C., we didn't have a lot of yard space, so we had a little flower garden and helped her with that. So I think I got that love of the flowers from her. And then when I had these dried flowers sitting on my table, they were right there. I didn't have to go very far, and I could do it at night while the baby was asleep. Um, so that's kind of where it got started. Mm-hmm. And then looking so closely at these forms, they were just beautiful. Mm-hmm. 
you know, how they curl and how they, how the colors change. The bright red rose then became really dark and uh, sometimes would turn black. Or if they sat there so long, a, a layer of dust accumulated. So <laughs> it was like they were silvery. Yeah. Um, it was just fascinating to look at these. A lot, well, a lot of the flowers that I've seen that you've done are pretty much past their prime. Yes. You know, Yes. Uh, which I think there's something to talk about there. But but I would I would say that they're very anthropomorphic. Mm-hmm. The, the flowers that you depict yes. have that quality. Mm-hmm. And then you give them titles like couple or the messengers. Mm-hmm. You say that flowers have character and many times the flowers, you know, are pretty dead that you're depicting. <laughs> so tell me how these flowers are more than flowers in your work and what do you want viewers to draw from them? Well, I think after I got started on this series and um, had a collection of these sitting on the table and, and everywhere around the studio and petals would fall off, sometimes I would just draw the petals and as I'm sitting there drawing, I start to think about how fragile these are. But then you've got these thorns. If I'm not careful, I'm going to get stuck and start bleeding. You know, mm-hmm. So uh, there was this uh, dichotomy of the fragileness and the prettiness versus that sturdy stem and the thorns and how I think as women we were perceived as being the weaker sex but yet mm-hmm. it takes a great deal of strength to juggle kids and a house mm-hmm. and a career and, and all these things. Mm-hmm. So they became a symbol or a, a metaphor for um, some of these thoughts I was having. And then I think over a period of time that kind of morphed into um, spirituality in terms of a presence and energy that I find in these things, life forms. So it kind of branched away from flowers to other types of plants that I would see around uh, where I live. And um, how, how that energy is there and we don't even see it. You know, it's in, it's in everything. And we're so busy and so fast moving that we don't even think about this life force, this energy that uh, moves us, how we communicate with each other, how we communicate with the spirit. Um, we just need to pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that kind of helps me express that that idea. Um, you mentioned the messengers, which was a self-portrait. And I was holding a bouquet of white roses. And I use my flowers as my messengers to the viewer. That's where that title came from. Mm-hmm. And wanting you to see what that message may be for you. Mm-hmm. Now, the title may give you some clues about what I was thinking about, mm-hmm. but it may be totally different for my viewer. And mm-hmm. that's okay. That's so okay. in the the work that's called The Couple, mm-hmm. you know, your husband's very tall. Yeah. And in The Couple, one flower is very <laughs> tall and the other one's much shorter. Is okay. it you and AJ in that? I, I didn't think about that until okay. you just mentioned that. Okay. It just happened uh, how I had them hanging. Because I actually okay. had them hanging upside down. Mm-hmm. No, that might have been the ones where they were upright. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just how they, how it wound up. They're very, you know, again, they're very anthropomorphic, you mm-hmm. know, but they look very tender towards each other, yeah. these two flowers. Um, when I'm putting these together in the studio and I'm drawing directly from the subject mm-hmm. and it depends on how they work together, I'm looking at the design of it. Um, maybe there's part of the form that will lead your eye to the next form. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the colors and um, is that important in terms of the value interpretation. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking about the design. I'm thinking about this unit whenever mm -hmm. I have more than one rose mm -hmm. or a flower in the, in the composition, mm -hmm. how that unit plays together. Do you typically name them after you've done them? It could be while I'm working on it. Okay. Most of, most of the time it'll come while I'm working. Uh -huh. And sometimes it may come beforehand. Mm -hmm. Maybe in reading or I may hear something in a song that mm -hmm. moves me in a certain direction. And I'll think of words and I'll write words down on a scrap paper on my, on my table. And like enigma, mm -hmm. um, you know, whatever, clairvoyant. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? And mm -hmm. I'll look it up and I'll think, hmm. And I'll just kind of dwell on that a little bit mm -hmm. and just work. And sometimes these things will come back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I do want to talk about a few individual pieces. Mm -hmm. And uh, just so folks know, um, uh, the images that we're going to talk about can be found at our website, which is www.hendricks.edu slash Wingate. Mm -hmm. um, so the first one I want to talk about is this this work that's called, which I love, called Strong. It's from 2017. Mm -hmm. And it looks like a pretty dead either purple coneflower, black-eyed yes. Susan is what I, you know, you can yeah. tell I'm from the Midwest. Okay. But it just radiates so much energy out of that. Yeah. Why, why did you choose Strong for the title? And um, Just looking at that flower, and it was coneflower. Okay. And I had them in my backyard mm -hmm. and uh, cut that example that sample and brought it into the studio and it's just the way those petals how they dry mm -hmm. and they curl in certain directions and then the the cone part with that just looks like spikes mm -hmm. and that just looks i mean you couldn't break that off easily mm -hmm. you've got to work at it but then you're going to get stuck right you're going to get injured if you mess with that thing um it just looks like it just looked like strength and that was one where the title came as I was working on it. Mm -hmm. And when I first brought that into the studio, I thought, do you dare even draw that? <laughs> I mean, how many little needles are there in that thing? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the pattern in nature, there is a, a whole mathematical pattern to that based on that golden section. Mm -hmm. And I thought, if I mess that up, someone's going to know. It's amazing. Yeah, so I, I, I have to divide it down and count how many of these little points I see in that silhouette, um, and then come back in with lengths of line that make you think you're seeing other points within the cone. Mm -hmm. um, I thought, you've got to really take your time. Um, if I find myself wanting to race and getting a little anxious with a part, I'll take a break mm -hmm. and walk away and come back. I've got to change the music so mm -hmm. the music can, has, a, has some influence on mm -hmm. my pace, get a cup of tea, you know, just mm -hmm. calm down and go slow. And then when, when I'm in the zone or really in the mindset where I'm not even focused on the external, where I'm really focusing on this little part, just this little shape, and one little shape after another little shape, and that's how I get that. Um, that silhouette was really important, so I wanted the background to be lighter than the subject. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you look at the image, you said radiating, mm -hmm. and I did want it to feel as if the cone kind of radiates this energy. So I was using aluminum 
uh, for that background. And the strokes were such that I purposely drew it in a radiating sort of passion, uh, mm-hmm. fashion so it would feel that sort of energy from the drawing. Yeah. 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 So clairvoyant is also an amazing work, but much different. Yes. It's done on a black background, which gives the rose a kind of strangely menacing quality. Okay. Um, or something that, you know, it's clairvoyant. Yeah. So why that title, and how does your work change when you do work on a black background? Well, strong was also on a black background. Okay. And the darkness that you're seeing in that flower But is, you have just had a lot more I had metal a lot of on there. metal in that background. Okay. So, and that's a later piece than Clairvoyant. Now, Clairvoyant is in the early stages of me working on this black gesso. Uh And uh, Susan Schwab, uh, I saw some of her work where she had a color background. And I sent her a message, hey, what are you doing? Where'd you get that? She said, buy some black gesso. That's all I'm going to say. I thought, okay. So I bought some black gesso. I painted, you know, on the board. And I'm, okay, let me figure this out. And so I started drawing and realizing Oh, wait a minute. I'm not, I can't draw the darks. I'm drawing light. It's totally reversed from everything else I had been doing. You know, the gray metal would be mm-hmm. used for shadows, but now I have to use the metal as the highlights. So now I have to think, I have to preserve the darks or build the light slowly so that I can get this range. So this was one of the first ones that I felt was successful. Like I said, sometimes when they're Spectacular. not, nobody's going to see the ones that didn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, as well as I was working, getting this feeling of knowing. How do you know something? What, what is this feeling that you get? And you can't put words on it. It just is. You know? And my mother often would get a feeling about things. You know, she said, I'm wondering what's going on with your cousin you know, Betty. I think something's up with Betty. And we'd say, well, like what? I don't know. I don't even really want to know, but I have to know. You know, and then we'd go call Betty, and she says, well, I've been sick. You know, so she just kind of knew things. Very clairvoyant. Yeah. And yeah. so that piece kind of felt like that as I was building that up. And the dark background um, kind of gave all of my work then a whole different feeling. Whereas before they had been light and kind of um, uh, softer, you know, the light of the image kind of came through the metal. Mm-hmm. But now it had a more somber tone. Mm. And it, what about when did you start working on oh, black? Let's see, maybe mm, 2011, 12, mm-hmm. maybe somewhere in there. Uh-huh. And um, I had gotten a sabbatical. And my research was to investigate working on color grounds. Mm -hmm. And so I got to visit with Susan Schwab, which was the first time we actually met. We had been corresponding but had never met in person. And her work is so different than yours. It is. It is. But we had such fun meeting Mm -hmm. and um, talking about materials and things like that. So um, I just had a chance to really explore what might happen with these other materials. and. She's been kind of inspirational. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because and where does she live? In New York. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one other piece I want to talk about, and mm-hmm. I don't know the title of the piece, but 
it absolutely knocks me off my feet. It's just so fragile when you talk about this yes. and appears to be clinging to survival. Yeah. So it's a dead rose head mm-hmm. that's attached to a safety pin right. that's attached to a little piece of thread. And it says it's from 2013, but it okay. is exquisite. Yeah. And I'm just interested to hear how you came to compose mm-hmm. this this way and and really just what an amazing piece this is. Well, I was looking at, as I said, some of these are very fragile, and that head fell off the stem. And I thought, oh, I really would like to draw it, but how am I going to get it so that I can draw it? And I, I tried to attach it to a stick, and that didn't work. Because mm-hmm. that meant I would have to tape it somehow to the stick, and I just couldn't grasp it. But then I had a safety pin that I could actually put through the remaining part of the stem that was there. And I thought, okay, I want to hang this upside down. And I thought, oh, I'll just take some thread and hang it. Mm-hmm. So I included the thread in the drawing and the pin because I wanted to see how thin could I make a line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and interestingly <laughs> enough, one of my students in a drawing class was a retired dentist. And one day he came to class and he said, you know what, I used to use silver in, in fillings and I still have some of that silver wire. Would you be interested in having some of that? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. He said, well, I'll bring you some. Well, he mm-hmm. brought it in, and it looked like a piece of hair. Yeah. It was so thin. Wow, it's so thin. I cannot put this in a, a vice holder, you mm-hmm. know, a mechanical pen. So I just taped it to a stick and tried to draw with that. And the line was almost invisible. It was so thin. Mm-hmm. And it just built that up. So I wanted to see how thin could I make these lines. <laughs> yeah. And then contrast that with this form, which because of how it's curling, you know, it almost feels hard, mm-hmm. but yet they're not. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I kind of like mm-hmm. that um, contrast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I thought I read somewhere that you, that you don't produce that many works in a year. No, I don't. Now, the first year I retired, that was the first year I actually made more than five images, I think. Really, in, in one, one year. year. Because when I was teaching, um, between the teaching schedule and then with the kids, um, I just didn't have a lot of time. So I started to relegate most of my studio practice to the summer when mm-hmm. I was off. Mm-hmm. And then it was a, you know, compressed into inside right. of two months. How mm-hmm. much can you do? Um, but once I retired, I was drawing, you know, kicking them out. Like once a month I had a new piece. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is, this is incredible. You yeah. Know? Um, it's amazing that you could maintain your technique with only doing Five pieces a year. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was thinking about it all the time Uh and looking at at things. Mm -hmm. You know, whenever we would travel, uh, looking at books, and I just love looking at other people's work. Mm -hmm. And it didn't even have to be silver point, but I was always thinking about how might, what would I do? What is that inspires me in that piece? And how can I apply that idea to mine? Mm -hmm. So I was always thinking about it. but yeah, it, I think because I work so slowly, that's mm-hmm. why it would take so long to do a piece with the limited time that I had. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But that's you know I think people don't often realize just how long it takes. Yeah. To craft a piece, mm-hmm. you know, and and especially in something like Silver Point, that, yeah. You know. And I think one thing that was challenging people would often ask me is how do you keep the same mindset 
Like if you, you're working on a Saturday right, right. and then maybe on a Sunday and then you're off for a week mm-hmm. and then you come back to it, how do you get back into it? Mm-hmm. Um, I would have to do my dance, uh-huh. what I would call my dance. Um, make sure the music's there, my cup of tea, um, peacefulness, which may be at night, um, and just looking at the subject. Even if I couldn't draw it during the week, I could sit at my table and look at the subject. Mm-hmm. and think, what might I do next, and how might I handle that? That would help me get back into it. Mm-hmm. Um, when I finish the drawing, go back in, make sure the studio's cleaned up, take that piece, put it away, think about something else, get everything in, in a new, sort of a newness that I could start something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you talk a lot about your desire for your work to be, quote, a calm, centered place to allow our spiritual selves to be renewed. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly feel that when I see your work. I know that you're a practicing Catholic. Uh-huh. How does your faith and your spirituality impact your work? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think really having to be, um, sometimes you have to be reminded that mm-hmm. your faith is important. And I think in times like now where things are so divided and there's turmoil and you really have to if you're not wanting to be consumed by everything that's around you you've got to find some sort of center that you can be calm and stay connected and I really feel like um, there is that um, God who is there to support us and to help us through whatever we're facing and I'm always challenged With that, I have to remind myself, wait a minute, why are you getting so anxious? Why are you getting so upset about something where you've got to rely on what the master plan is? Mm -hmm. And our creator has a master plan. That's the title of my current piece I'm working on. (laughs) Um, There there is so much that has happened in my life that I had no control over, like moving to Little Rock or uh, going to Pratt. You know, Mm -hmm. you look back at these things, it's like, you know, it's a good thing I didn't have control over. I would have messed it up. And so you have to believe that there is something else at work that's helping you, guiding you, blessing you with things, your skill level, uh, whatever it is you're doing in your life. And so when I'm working with these pieces and there's like, like this pen and rose where it's so quiet and still, there's no background. It's mm-hmm. just you and this thing. With spirituality, it's you and your God. And what connection do you have? Is it real? Are you being sincere about it? Are you committed to it? And we have to work at that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like these drawings. You have to work at that in order to make that real for you. Because there's days we, we lose touch, you know, so you have to be reminded. It's, it's funny, before I met you, you know, when I when I would see your drawings, they were so meditative. Mm-hmm. I was just sure you were a Buddhist. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, but they do sort of they are very calming to be in the presence of mm-hmm. of these silver points. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you are rewarded for settling and looking more deeply. And, mm-hmm. you know, they they call you to really um, pause and consider them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um when I go to church, if I get there really early before a lot of people get in and it's very quiet, maybe they haven't turned all the lights on yet, 
and you feel that energy, you know, and you get reconnected. And we go all week with all the stuff we're dealing with, and then you get in this zone where it's very quiet. Okay, this is this is safe. This is very good. I can I can get reconnected, right? Get reminded of what's really important. So it's not all mm-hmm. that stuff out there. It's mm-hmm. just what this relationship is, mm-hmm. right? And um, when I'm drawing, I'm reminded of that because it's like prayer. It's like meditation. I can find my calm center. Um, some days I get so anxious about stuff. I just need to go sit at my table and just sit there. Even if I'm not drawing, I just need to sit there and look at the piece I'm working on, look at the subject, um, just relax a little bit. Well, that sense of peace really comes through in your work. Thank you. Thank you. So what advice do you have for young artists coming up in the world today? Ah, don't be discouraged. I think it's easy to be discouraged because a lot of people don't understand an artist. Um, Family may even tell you, don't do it. You're not going to make any money. Um, And if you're going into it thinking you're going to get rich, maybe don't do it. Um, You've got to do it because that's just who you are. If you couldn't do it, it would be like not breathing. So in order to do that, you must be disciplined. You can't let someone steal your dream, as my husband has said often. Um, Be willing to sacrifice, right? What are you willing to give up to have that? Maybe it's time. Maybe it's uh, so I don't watch as much television. I'm not on my phone all the time. You know, I skipped the party and stayed home and worked in the studio. You have to think about that. And if you're willing to dedicate yourself to that, it can get better, right? Of uh, students, as I was teaching, students would want to know, how can I get in the gallery when I graduate? Will I be able to get in the gallery and have shows? And I was like, no. I mean, you finished <laughs> school. Okay, so you got a little bit of skill. But it'll take you another 10 years or so to figure it out. What are you going to do? What are you saying? Or are you just regurgitating what your teachers told you and trying to do that or trying to hop on whatever the fad is? Oh, right now everything is this in the art world. I'm going to do that. People can tell it's not sincere. Mm-hmm. you know. So, so I would say really dedicate yourself. Um, be patient. It'll happen. I think people can see honesty in work. Um, get out and see a lot of art. Um, listen to music, read books, um, just do a lot of things that help inform your practice so that then you actually have something to say and you have a skill level in which you can say it. Well, Marjorie, thank you so much. This has been a great time visiting with you. I really appreciate uh, all your insights. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining Whamacast, produced by the Wingate Museum of Art at Hendricks College. Our engineer is Megan Stevenson. Graphics by Amanda Cheatham and research support from Rebecca Jolly. Our theme music was written by Hendricks student Cameron Minor and performed by Cameron Minor, Scott Minor, Danielle Kuntz, and Campbell Cook. All rights reserved by Hendricks College. Have a great day.